Hello and welcome to episode Colin Greening of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Trevor Shackles. It's the thick of the off-season in the hockey world, with the dust mostly settled from the draft and free agency. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, everything the Suns have done in the past couple of weeks in this episode, but before, uh, I, I just want to mention that we're teaming up with SB Nation as part of the Silver 7 Podcast Network. It's a, it's a bit of a transition, so you may notice some road bumps, such as uh, uh, the podcast is, is now listed as Silver 7 the, for Ottawa Senators fans on uh, on the platforms, but you should still be able to find us on most of the platforms you found us on in the past, so uh, the software is called Megaphone, so uh, check us out on there. So... Back to today's topic, the Sens have uh, lost a lot of star players in the past year, and I think as it pertains to this podcast, this week included another one of those, uh, maybe in a different way, uh, Cody Cece. So do you want to give us a rundown of the CC trade, Trevor? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, at this point, it's a week and a half later after the trade, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure people are, are, you know, have read up a, a lot on about it, but it was... I don't know if blockbuster is the correct word just because of the players involved, but it was definitely a huge trade. So um, Ottawa gave up, of course, Cody Ceci, um, Ben Harper, prospect Aaron Luchuk, and a third-round pick in 2020 to the Maple Leafs for Nikita Zaitsev, Connor Brown, and Michael Carcone. Um, So it was... I mean, this is the second big trade like this that the Sens and Leafs have made in the past three years. And... Very similar trade in the sense that, you know, this was a trade that um, saw Ottawa move Cody Ceci and the previous trade saw them move Jared Cowan. And both of those guys, I feel, had very similar career arcs in, in Ottawa. Um, Ceci's was definitely a bit longer, but both of them were guys who had pretty high value early in their careers and, you know, probably could have been moved for for uh, some pretty good players. Um, but by the end of, you know... By the time they got traded, they pretty much had no trade value. Um, so it's it's a rare instance where, you know, Pierre Dorian finally moved CC um, after fans have been calling for it for for years at this point, and yet it's somehow a return that, you know, has fans are annoyed at the return just because of the Nikita Zaitsev contract, and we'll get into that. But it's it's really is a fascinating trade. Um, just because of all these moving pieces. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting you bring up the FNF trade, considering it's episode Colin Greening as well when he was shipped yeah. off. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely a uh, similar structure, I guess. It, it's it's just another way that the Sens are trying to uh, um, like make make the costs work with the team and uh, fit within Melnick's uh, budget. But um, I, I guess it's also similar to the FNF trade in that they took on the longer contract, which I guess we can get into and, and see. Mm-hmm. So the Suns are taking on Nikita Zaitsev's deal, which is pretty hefty at this point. It's, he has five years left at $4.5 million per year. And uh, Cody Ceci also just re-signed in Toronto for, for one year at the same value. So um, it, it's, it's weird because like, if you compare Ceci and Zaitsev as players, like they're, they're pretty similar, but contractually, um, Zaitsev um, definitely comes in... Um, as the more expensive player just because of those extra years. But also we have to consider that the Sens also uh, uh, had to wait for this trade, right? They had to wait until July 1st because the Leafs mm-hmm. owed uh, signing bonuses to Zaitsev and as well to Connor Brown, who was also included in the in the trade coming back to Ottawa. So, um, yeah, it just feels very financially motivated. And uh, it also reminds me of another trade, which was the Zibanejad and uh, Zibanejad for the Broussard trade, which is just... Yes. Uh, 
similar circumstances where Ottawa had to wait for uh, the or the Rangers to uh, pay for Broussard's bonus, and, and they also, like in the meantime, also included the pick in that deal too. They, they gave uh, the second to the Rangers, and similar kind of deal here where they had to give the third to um, to the Leafs. So um, I don't know. I, I, I for, for for my low opinion of Pierre Dorian, he didn't really come out of this trade to. It wasn't like he was fleeced or anything. Like if you look at a value for value comparison, like it actually comes out pretty equally in my opinion, just because they were able to squeeze out. Uh, something like Connor Brown in that deal too, but if, if we look at this in the bigger picture, like what what was the point of this move? If the Sens are trying to rebuild, what's the point of bringing in Zaitsev? Who, uh, how old is he at this point? He's 27 at this point. He's he's not he's not a player that you want to keep around for the long term in the Sens position when they're trying to rebuild. So, um, they're, they're going to have to pay up for players eventually. And it seems like Zaitsev's. Uh, extra term is something that could just get in the way um, of, of that. Not that we expect Ottawa to become a cap team, but in the ideal scenario that they do, like that's uh, not something that that's not a contract you want to have on the books. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's. I feel like my thoughts on the trade would definitely change a lot if Zaitsev's contract was for two or three years. <laughs> I mean, you're right. Like it's just. The next two or three seasons probably won't matter because I, I can't imagine Ottawa being very good. I mean, maybe in, in the third season they're they're challenging for a playoff spot or something. But I just, those last one or two years really could matter because, I mean, they should be good um, by then. I don't know, you know, not necessarily cup contenders or anything, but they should be better. And you're right, like, CC and Zaitsev are pretty actually similar. Um, you know, they give up a ton of shots, a ton of goals not really good results um but i guess we can get into this a bit later but new sense coach dj smith seems to really love zaitsev and he's talking him up so i think ottawa actually believes that zaitsev is a good top four player when in reality he's probably more suited for the third pairing and that yeah that that term really scares me um and and i think it's interesting you mentioning about the you know just pure value for value um, in in this deal. And I think that is correct, that it's probably about the same. But the most infuriating aspect of it is that, and we've talked about this many times, is that, you know, CC could have been moved for years. I mean, the rumor in 2016 yeah. was that he could have been moved for Taylor Hall. The summer after that apparently could have been moved for Jordan Eberle. Um, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jonathan Drew, and all these guys. It might have not have been straight up for all of these guys, but after all that, pretty much the only thing they get for him is Nikita Zaitsev on a long-term deal. And, I mean, I guess they get Connor Brown because of that long contract, but it's just, I don't know, Brown isn't really enough for me in this deal where they're taking on a longer contract and they're essentially just giving up CC for nothing. And, you know, I, I don't think he's a valuable player, but it's just frustrating knowing that Probably even last summer, they could have gotten maybe like a first-round pick or something for him, and you know now they got nothing. Yeah, I think it just really speaks to how low his value has dropped. If you can't get yeah. a single GM in the NHL, and let's face it, GMs aren't really very smart and tend to overvalue CC. Even <laughs> I mean, we get the sense to it, and uh, of course, based on the rumors, it seems like other GMs kind of over- overvalued him too for a number of years. So if 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 the sense if this was the best deal that the Sens could get for Cody Ceci, where he was essentially becoming a cap dump at this point, then yeah, it's it's 
it's, uh, it's, it's hard to reconcile the fact that, uh, um, that they really passed up all these opportunities in the past, especially when it was evident that CC was not going to uh, mm -hmm. progress to, to the same heights that uh, his rumored trade partners uh, would have. But uh, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just see it as really, uh, if we're talking about lineup, I think that um, Connor Brown actually does end up becoming the best player in this trade and probably the best piece. And I think he hasn't even really been talked about as much because he'll be playing right wing and especially fitting onto Ottawa. I mean, on Toronto, he was he, he couldn't make a top six there just because they had so much forward depth. But on Ottawa, he, he could be... I don't know. Do you think he could be a first-line winger in Ottawa? Like maybe not by actual skill, maybe, or, yeah. or, or but like being able to play on the first line. Do you think? Where do you think he'll end up fitting in the lineup there? Yeah, I mean, the top three spots are probably going to be him, Bobby Ryan, and Drake Batherson. I think in an ideal world, you'd have Batherson in that first spot. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if Brown gets some games in the on the first line. Um, you know, in October and November. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, there's going to be an inevitable Bobby Ryan injury, so I'm sure we'll see see Brown in the top six for a decent amount of the season, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I just see him as, he, he seemed to be defensively competent, which mm -hmm. maybe would see him uh, paired well with Pajot. I, I don't know, maybe he'll be able to play some penalty kill time even. Um but yeah, even though he is the best piece in the deal, I mean, you're, you're right. It's it's not like he's not a player that that like make when he's the centerpiece of a, of, a, of a blockbuster trade. It's a, it's just kind of a bit of a weird feeling. But um, I mean, the two things that kind of give me, or, or the one thing I guess to give me solace in, in this trade, just knowing that they made it with <laughs> Toronto and that Cody Cece and Ben Harper are Toronto Maple Leafs. And they could be in their starting lineup, according to some projections, and that just boggles my mind. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? Or? That that has to be in in our uh, in our promo. I mean, just <laughs> get the fans excited. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of people tweeted about that about just how funny that seems. That I'm sure for the longest time, Leafs fans have been, you know, joking about. CC and Harper and how bad they are and it is pretty funny I, I gotta say um seeing fans say things like oh well maybe one or both of them can turn things around in in Toronto under Mike Babcock and they're just not going to I mean they're just not that great and you know obviously in the grand scheme of things you know they're one of the best in the world they're they're very good hockey players but they're <laughs> yeah i mean third pairing players at best at this point and like i'm not really convinced harper isn't even even an nhler um so yeah it's it's pretty hilarious to see that they're on the team and i think it's even funnier that i mean as of now it looks like cc is going to be on their second pairing yeah. because um who is it it was dermot that's going to be out for a while right mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so like he's going to be getting a decent amount of minutes. Um, I remember before the trade was official, it seemed like maybe Dubas was just going to, um, you know, walk away from our, him at arbitration um, or, or, you know, flip him for something else. But I mean, right now it looks like he's going to be in Toronto for at least one season. And he gave him a raise too, which is even funnier. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of wild. Yeah. I, I honestly have no idea. I, I don't think Ben Harper will uh, survive there. Uh, for for long, honestly, I think he'll end up on waivers like he probably should have last year, maybe. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, I I just can't stop thinking about Kyle Dubas and 
pulling the trigger on Cody Cece and Ben Harper and looking at all his spreadsheets <laughs> and and, uh, <laughs> and just. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're a sense podcast, not a least podcast, so I'm sure other podcasts have gone and further uh, further deeper into this, but I don't know. It's, it's just something that I, I think is going to be... It, it, it's, it's just funny in my mind to, to think that two, two of the most lauded players on the Sens last season are now on our on our most hated rivals, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just... It, it'll be funny. I I mean, okay, I will say one thing about CeCe, though, and, and I tweeted this um, on the day of the trade as well. I do genuinely feel bad for him, you know, as a person, like from all, from everything that I've heard off the ice, he's a nice dude, great guy. It seemed like he was helping out in the community a lot. And, you know, he's a local kid from Ottawa, just wanted to be a local hero. I mean, that's everyone's dream to play for their, play for their local team, um, have everyone in their city love him. And the city turned his back on him. And that's, you know, he didn't play well. So it's not like he didn't deserve the criticism but i do feel bad for him just because it, it's tough you know being being hated in a city and i don't think it's going to be any easier in toronto at all i mean they're expecting greatness next season and i'm sorry but i just don't think he's gonna even be competent at all so yeah for i mean for as much flack as we've given given him over the years um i, I do wish him the best, you know, just for his mental health. I mean, I, I hope he's in a good place uh, mentally, but yeah, it, it was time to move on. And I think a big positive from this trade is just the fact that we don't have to talk about him anymore. I mean, I've had this podcast going since 2016 and pretty much almost every episode CC has come up one way or another, and it's just exhausting talking about him. So just for that aspect... I like the trade. Yeah, and if we're doing a full in, in memoriam of, of CZ here, I, I think it's worth stating that he didn't have full control over his how he was used by all the coaches. Totally, and, totally. Ended up being fired by Ottawa, of course. Mm-hmm. And, and and that his the way that they that the entire organization handled his development was not good. Like it, it was like they, they they rushed him into scenarios that he just wasn't ready for. They weren't able to provide him competent defensive partners like he played with Jared Cowan, Dion Phaneuf, an aging Chris Phillips. Um, I mean we, we love Patrick Weirkoff but let's be honest he, he wasn't exactly a top four player either and uh, yeah it, it was just not, not, not that that's an excuse for CeCe's defensive play I mean CeCe was the common denominator and all of that but yeah it, it's uh, it, it's a uh, it's too bad because I remember when CC was drafted. That was one of my first kind of memorable moments as a Sens fan. Honestly, maybe it makes some of you feel pretty old, but <laughs> <laughs> but the, but that, that that was something I was happy about because I, I loved watching play Same. for the 67s and even going as far as like I played minor hockey at that time and I I liked to model my game after Cody CC, which I guess speaks to why I didn't play so well, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I I don't know. I, I was a big CC fan. He was part, he was actually one of the first players you could say that I was like. I personally liked as a player, like that I, I would consider myself a fan of. So, yeah, it's really too bad that it just didn't work out, and that his development was handled so poorly, and that uh, he couldn't progress in the way that um, he probably could have progressed best. So, um, yeah, that's just my thoughts on Cody CC. Uh, what, what would you say is your most memorable, positive moment with Cody CC? <laughs> Man, put me on the spot here. Jeez, um, I mean. 
the immediate thing that uh, comes to mind is just his first goal against, it was an overtime winner, I think, oh, against yeah. St. Louis um, in 2013-14. And, you know, I remember being pretty excited for that. Um, I was in I was in grade 12 that year. And, yeah, like, I, I was excited for this kid. I mean, just like you, I, I remember in the 2012 draft, I wanted either him or Ali Mata. Um, so I was excited when they got him as well. So I guess, you know, seeing him score, score that first goal, uh, was pretty exciting. So, um, yeah, I guess it was kind of all downhill after that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess there, there was there's more to talk about with free agency on July 1st. The Sens uh, made a couple more signings. Um, more former Leafs joining uh, DJ Smith in the Sens. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know, I, I, it's, fu- it's funny because you look at what Melnick's comments were on the radio and trashing the, the team's defense now that they go out and inquire... DJ Smith was their defensive coach. Uh, Nikita Zaitsev, who was one of their most used defensive players, or the, their most their their most used defensive player. Then they signed Ron Hainsey to a one-year deal at three at three point five million, right? Yep. And he was their like main PK guy. So it seems like uh, DJ Smith is bringing the squad back together. So um, uh, one year and three million. Uh, Ron Hainsey, I think he's thirty-eight years old now. He's older than Martin Havlat, believe it or not. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a- wild. A- a- any thoughts on uh, on that first signing? Yeah, well, I think the the dollars on that deal, three point five million. That's probably just so they were positive that they were going to be getting over the cap floor, and they will definitely be fine now. They have they need to spend just under a million dollars more, and Colin White is still unsigned as an RFA, so they'll be fine in that aspect. Um, obviously isn't worth 3.5 million um i'm hoping he's going to be used more as a mentor for guys like thomas shabbat and eric brandstrom and christian willanen but i don't know i mean like you said hainsey played with dj smith in toronto and i really feel like he's gonna use him a lot more than he should maybe sort of like uh johnny oduya was um was that only in 2017-18? That was, right? Yeah. Wow. Man, that feels like so long ago. Yeah. Um, but I feel like he's going to be overused, sort of like Oduya was. Not that Oduya was, you know, leading the team in ice time or something. But, um, yeah, I just... Dorian said that he wanted to, to sign a, a veteran free agent, and that's who he got. So, uh, I mean, I hope he doesn't play, like, every single game and takes away ice time from some... Uh, somebody like Eric Brandstrom. Um, so I'm hoping he plays on the right side because he's left-handed, but he can play on the right side as well. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's a huge deal in the long term, but you know, once Brandstrom's ready to come up, I, I really hope he's not um, stopping Brandstrom from from playing a lot in Ottawa. See, I, I think I'm even a bit more pessimistic on this deal than you. And originally I was kind of of the mindset that, okay, this is just the Sens trying to ensure that they hit the cat floor, but is that really the type of thing that you think the Sens would do? Like, it, it just doesn't seem like a, a very um, Melnick-type move to uh, overpay a player intentionally to uh, just for cap purposes, especially when we know like that Colin White was, is, is going to get a couple million dollars and, uh, and such. So, I mean, I, I look at Evolving Wild's contract project, projections, and they actually had Hainsey at, at, at $3.6 million projected. Whoa. Which I mean, it caught me off guard too. But I mean, if you if you look at uh, what stats go into their their model and and how 
and, and how teams judge and how much they want to give players for defensemen. I mean, time on ice is the biggest factor, and and uh, and, and Hainsey certainly got a lot of time on ice last season in Toronto playing on, on their right side, which was, as you mentioned, he'll probably play with Ottawa too. So um, I don't know. My, my thinking is that Ron Hainsey was given a, a, a big role under DJ Smith last year, and 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 especially on the PK and playing up in the lineup. And uh, I, I don't know. I just feel like that's going to transfer over. And I, I look at the Sens' projected lineup, and the, the big the big gaping hole on defense. Well, no, there's a whole bunch of holes on defense. Let's be, let's be real here. But uh, I mean, you have Tom Shabbat on the first pairing, and then the left side is very deep, and then you need someone on that right side to help shore up and make everything uh, make everything work okay. And and last year that was Dylan DeMello, but now we have a new coach, and it feels like Ron Hainsey was brought in at 3.5 million as a decent salary, so that he could be that guy that kind of becomes uh, um, that kind of helps out the depth and, and whatnot, and 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 can play up in the lineup too. So I, I really wonder if DJ Smith is going to be playing Ron Hainsey on the first pair with Tom Shabbat. And, and just, for, just from an outsider, I know it sounds terrible and it, it probably will be terrible, but that's, uh, that's just my expectation as of this point of what Hainsey is going to be. If, if he ends up being like a Johnny Oduya type where he's not even playing every game, then I mean, sure. That's what I'd expect Hainsey to be doing at 38 years old. But, um, yeah, it, it just feels like DJ Smith brought him in, and, and Ron Hainsey was Smith's PK guy last year who could play up in the lineup, and it feels like um, it doesn't feel like his role is going to change at all this year. And unfortunately, because I mean, if you look at Hainsey's numbers, I mean, he, he, you could argue he's still better than Zaitsev based on some of the numbers, but I mean, it's not like it's he's the type of guy that you want to be playing first pairing twenty minutes a night. No, and to be fair, I think he, I'm maybe I'm misremembering, but. I think I saw one place that said that he was actually pretty decent on the penalty kill, and that's you know that's not nothing. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, if he's playing with Shabbat, that's that's a disaster. I mean, now I'm thinking worst case scenario. I'm thinking, you know, he plays a lot of games with Shabbat on the first pairing. Demello gets demoted to the third pairing, and then Demello is a unrestricted free agent um, next summer, mm-hmm. and then you know Ottawa lets him walk or something, and. You know, Demello is only making nine hundred thousand. He's not going to be an expensive defenseman, and it wouldn't be the end of the world to see him walk. But I mean, he showed in my mind. I think he's a capable, like number four at worst. Um, and seeing him walk would just be kind of pointless, especially because he's still in his prime. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of infuriating to see if Demello, you know, doesn't continue to play with Shabbat, even though he showed that the two of them together were pretty damn solid. Yeah, there were, I mean, there weren't many things that worked on the Sims defense last year, but that pairing was certainly one of the few things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, even with San Jose, DeMelt was certainly underappreciated. His, his underlying numbers were actually pretty great with San Jose, and, and, and while nobody's underlying numbers in Ottawa were great this year, I mean, he, he was certainly uh, one of the less bad, I guess you could say. So mm-hmm. um, he seemed to compliment Shabbat pretty well. Um yeah, but uh, it it seems like uh, it seemed like almost like Gibushi was using him as like a who else am I going to use type situation instead of uh, um, instead of like believing that Demel should actually be in that spot. Um, so yeah, so that that was the first of the two free agent signings. The other one is Tyler Ennis, uh, which was uh, definitely a cheaper deal, uh, eight hundred thousand um, uh, dollars. Yeah, I think he'll just probably be in the 
probably just in the bottom of the lineup, right? I mean, another guy coming over from Toronto, right? I can't imagine him playing anywhere but the fourth line, honestly. Yeah, maybe. I mean, with with the right wing depth, I guess we talked about this already. There's Connor Brown, Bobby Ryan, Drake Batherson, mm-hmm. and Tyler. Ennis. Well, do we but, think it like have they talked about where he's playing? Because like, is he going to be playing on right wing? Because he's played center before too. Um, possibly, right? I mean, he could be playing left wing. I, he, he he can play both wings. I, I'm pretty sure. I haven't actually done too much digging into this, but mm-hmm. um. It seems like he can play either right wing or left wing, and and to me it it just seems like the Sens' left wing depth is is more at a point right now where they can, uh, um, where where they, they if they didn't sign Ennis they would have been totally fine on on the left wing. I mean, relatively speaking, it's not like all the spots would have been filled. So, um, I I don't know. I might even come down to what happens in train in training camp, right? If someone like Jonathan Davidson starts playing very well, then maybe he gets moved to left wing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't, I, yeah. Any other thoughts on Ennis? No, I mean, I'm much more optimistic about this signing than the Hainsey one. I mean, Ennis is, what is he? He's turning 30 in October. Really? Um, Only 30? Yeah. No, I know. It seems like he's been around a while. Hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, $800,000, incredibly cheap. Um, He obviously, I mean, so he had 18 points in 51 games with the Leafs this past season. And, you know, for like five seasons in Buffalo, he was... A good bet to score 45 points um and then he just fell off a cliff and he's obviously not the same player that he once was but he's still like a competent fourth line player um really limits shots against and he can be good on the penalty kill as well so um i think that'll be good just having him play with you know guys like pajot and rudolph's balsers and schlopik um some of these young guys that you know, it, it'll be good to have a good defensive forward next to them. Um, so I'm hoping that his defensive play can kind of rub off on some of the other guys. Um, but yeah, like, I think I was expecting Ottawa to bring in either him or, you know, re-sign Brian Gibbons or Oscar Lindbergh or something like that. And I'd much rather have Ennis than um, Gibbons or, or Pyarvi or Lindbergh. So... I think it's a fine signing. I mean, you know, another veteran guy that they wanted and provides good defensive value. So, like, I'm fine with it. Oh, yeah, totally. And at 800000 you're right. Like, it, it's it, it's a guy that, I mean, worst case, you you just put him on waivers and he goes to the AHL, right? Totally. And, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's, it seems like there's just been so many players moving from Ottawa to Toronto, and I guess yeah, it's, it's worth discussing just at a little bit one of the signings that Toronto made, and it's Jason Spezza. So I, I'm putting you on the spot again here, but what do you oh, think? What do you think is going to look weirder, or Jason Spezza or Cody Ceci in a Leafs jersey? Ooh. Hmm. It's- Probably Spezza. I mean, he yeah, he was my favorite player as as a kid. Um, yeah, and I actually because uh, yeah, when I was at the draft um, in in Vancouver a few weeks ago. Um, I broke out the Spezza jersey for the first time, you know, Sweet. since he had been traded. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird now that he's a Leaf. Um, and I don't know. I, I pictured CC being on a different team this whole time. So not necessarily the Leafs. But, uh, yeah, that'll that'll be weird to see Spezza uh, in the Leafs, even though he's, you know, he grew up in Toronto. But still, don't love it. Yeah, especially since he's survived a lot of those like battle of ontario years or just kind of after that too i mean like mm-hmm. 
yeah, he he wasn't really, yeah, I mean, he, he was with Ottawa in their cup run to the finals, and I mean, he just seems to be, yeah, it, it, it let's be honest, I mean, both are going to be super weird to, to watch, and, and just, yeah. especially on the ice together, that's just going to, I don't know what I'm going to, it's, it's going to be weird, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Ottawa play Toronto on opening night too? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's going to be a weird one to watch. So. Oh yeah, that'll be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get on to the Willanin signing? Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, he was re-signed for two years, um, had a cap hit of 900000 It was, man, it seems like this is a Pierre Dorian special. I mean, guys like Harper, McCormick, uh, Hogberg and now Willannon have all had these same deals where the first year is a two-way contract and the second year is one way um, definitely a, a strange contract given you know our evaluation of him and other people's evaluation of him um, but yeah what were your thoughts on Willannon's uh, new deal yeah I mean you're right that it's like it's, it's excellent value based on what we perceive of Willannon and, and what I guess the data has shown of Willannon is that Really, he is one of Otto's best defensemen, based on probably both the numbers and both the eye test. Like he's he's a great skater. He he moves the puck well. Um, he is especially great in the offensive zone. His defensive work can still use some some um, can still use some improvement for for sure. But um, I, I mean, he, he he seems like like a very dynamic player. And I mean, it's not like he's some stud prospect or anything. Like he should be in the prime of his career right now. I believe he's twenty four. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, like he, he he's, yeah he he just seems kind of like uh, like Dylan Demello almost in that sense where he just kind of got under the radar as as underappreciated part of the Sens defense core, and uh, and well he's he's probably not going to be able to get many minutes in the future even if if he's even if he sticks around just because of of Shabbat and uh, Branstrom on that left side it just seems like him being that third guy is like he, he'd be an excellent third guy so uh, nine hundred thousand dollars for two years that's excellent value to me. Um, the one thing I guess I'm concerned about, and maybe this is this is, uh, um, I mean, because he got such a, um, such um, small money there, um, it just makes me wonder how much the Sens value him. Just because, um, totally. uh, well, one just doesn't have much bargaining power or negotiating power in this sense. So uh, I just wonder if, if especially with the two-way element, like he proved last season that he's an NHL defenseman. It it, it just feels like. If if the Sens valued him as an NHL, they would have given him a one-way contract, or maybe they're just maybe they're just flexing their negotiation muscles and trying to squeeze out um, a two-way deal just so they can save some money if he ends up going to the AHL or whatever. But um, yeah, it, it just feels like he's no longer a player that should be in transition, like they tried with McCormick or Harper or, or Mar- like like the Toronto transition Marcus Hogberg or anything. He seems like he should be at that level already, where. Or mm-hmm. where he should be in the NHL, getting regular minutes, getting um, regular playing time. So um, it, it's uh, even Roy, even Roy DJ Smith. I know that the style that he likes of hockey doesn't really fit the way Bolanin um, plays. So I wonder how that relationship will work out. I, I'm not too optimistic about that. So um, it, it it is well, it does make me kind of pessimistic about the whole Bolanin situation. I mean, it, it's still great value, right? If, if, especially if they do realize that midway through that one can be a great NHL contributor. I mean, if you're getting a top four defenseman for nine hundred thousand, that's still a that's a bargain, right? So yeah, um, and I I think it's better to have flexibility than to not have it. 
Um, I mean, you know, if they have yes, to true. send him down to the minors, then so be it. I still think there's no reason why he should be in Belleville. I mean, like you were saying, he, he proved that he's an NHL defenseman. It's crazy to me that he's only played 40 games because it seems like he's played a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in those 40 games, he's, you know, he's been pretty damn solid. I, I'm willing to say that he's been their second best defenseman or, or was um, this past season. And yeah, it's, I'm definitely a bit worried too moving forward just because they have Shabbat and Branstrom on the left side. And I feel like for some reason they're going to think it's wrong to have three skilled offensive defensemen on the left side and that they, they're going to need someone like Mark Borowiecki long-term on that third pairing. Um, It's just, I mean, I can't, a lot of times people will throw out um, potential future um, pairings for the Senators, and it'll include, like, Shabbat, Jacob Bernard-Docker, Branstrom, um, Thompson, Willannon, and, like, I don't know, whoever, Tyconic or whatever. I just know that's not going to happen. Like, they're going to have a couple guys, like Borvietsky, like Harper, these shutdown guys that don't really actually provide that much value. And I just, yeah, just something in my gut says that Willannon isn't going to last long-term in Ottawa, and I really hope I'm wrong. Same here. Because I I think he's very solid, but I just think Branstrom's going to leap him, and they're going to think that he's he's not a good fit for the third pairing when that's just not false. Oh, sorry, that's just not true. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally agree with that, and uh, I mean, it really comes down to what the GM and the coaching staff thinks, and I mean, when you have someone like Mark Borowiecki there, who they just salivate over as playing on the third pairing, it's going to be hard to... Uh, it's definitely an uphill battle for for uh, for for uh, Bolin at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, should we go over the coaching staff as well? Yeah, I think that's the last thing we want to cover before getting to some listening questions. Yes. Uh, and the sense kind of rounded out the coaching staff this week. Um, they or this, this past couple of weeks. I mean, they hired Jack Capuano before. I, I, did we discuss Capuano before? I, think. I don't think so. Okay, we'll, we'll go over Capuano. But they hired him as an assistant. Uh, they also hired Davis Payne. As an assistant, and uh, Bob Jones as an assistant, so that's the three assistants they'll be bringing along with them next season. Um, and then they also brought on Mike King as a video coach. Um, and then there was also some changes to um, the development staff. With Chris Kelly not coming back, he decided to take some personal time with his family. But they brought on Clark MacArthur and Jesse Winchester. So I think we'll just go through these one by one. Do you have any thoughts on any of these coaches? I guess we'll start with Jack Capuano. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I have a strong take on any of them. I mean, I think me and you are pretty similar for our thoughts on Capuano. I mean, just, I was never really that impressed with him, with the Islanders. Um, He probably spent too much time there. I think he was, what, six full seasons? Um, Like six plus, I think. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't think I would ever be (laughs) really excited with a particular assistant coach hiring, but this one just kind of, I don't know, indifferent, I guess, but I'm not yeah. loving it. If he's the type of guy that uh, Garth Snow likes to keep around, then, then yeah. he's made a bad decision. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, again, it's hard to see what assistant coaches are doing. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be, exactly. it's, it's be hard to assess these guys later on anyways, but 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I just kind of don't really have much opinion as of now, right? As of now, I, I know that uh, a couple of these guys were people that uh, have connections to the or organization. Like I mentioned, Bob Jones, um, he, he was with uh, Smith in the, in the OHL for a number of years. I think they coached on two different teams together. And yeah. Then, uh, uh, Mike King is a video coach. I mean, it's good to have another video coach with with them, but uh, especially since uh, uh, Tim Pattison has been been promoted. Uh, um, uh, more recently, but uh, yeah, uh, Mike King worked with Troy Mann as well in Hershey, so I'm sure he will be doing uh, a lot more than just with us and he'll probably be working with Belleville uh, too. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the, the, the one I'm happiest with is just Clark MacArthur and Jesse Winchester. I mean, mm -hmm. just to see Clark MacArthur's name around the organization again, is, is uh, it just brings a smile to my face just, cause, just to know that he's, uh, uh, even though he's still under contract with the Sens, believe it or not, uh, <laughs> that uh, um, that he's, that he's just getting involved again and and uh, and seems to be um, recovering decently from his concussion. Even though I mean, the NHL was out of the question again for him. But yeah, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's good to, good to see him and Jesse Winchester as well. Who uh, um, I mean, I don't, I personally didn't watch the Sens much in the Jesse Winchester era, but uh, he just seems like he's he's a good person to be around all the young players. Totally. Yeah. I mean especially someone like MacArthur. Um, I mean, I obviously don't know him personally, but he just, it seems like he's a smart guy, knows what he's talking about. So um, yeah, I don't think there's any downside to, to hiring him. Um, Winchester as well. Too bad that Kelly couldn't stay around. Um, I don't know if that was more Kelly actually wanting to go away or Ottawa not really having a role for him or what, but yeah, um, I, it'd be cool to have him back at some point. Yeah, I, I believe Chris Kelly. I mean, who, you look at the Daniel Alfredson situation and it was similar excuses, but like it, it's very, mm -hmm. di it's very different situations here. And it felt like Chris Kelly just, yeah, totally. just needs some time away, which, which is totally understandable. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think it's hard to have too much of an opinion on, uh, you know, assistant coaches and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like any staffs that are coming in, we'll give them a chance, right? Um, and although, like, I, I'm definitely, like, souring a bit on Smith, DJ Smith, that is, just with uh, some of the quotes about Nikita Zaitsev and, um, yeah, totally. you know, bringing in Hainsey, essentially. Um, but even with him, still wing, willing to, you know, see what he can do, uh, see what his lineups are like, and I'm, I'm intrigued, at least. Yeah, as long as the players don't start trashing them in Uber again. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> I guess the last thing we can get to is the listener questions. Um, there was only a few today, but we'll go over them nevertheless. The first one I'll let you take um, comes in from, let's do, from Sense Pulse at 72 Senators on Twitter. He goes, or she, um, hey guys, love the show. Wanted to get your thoughts on Logan Brown's ceiling. Do either of you think he pans out into a number one center? Also, any guesses on a surprise kid that could challenge for a spot in training camp? Ooh. Uh, so I'll start with your second question. I think the the person I'm, I'm watching a lot is Jonathan Davidson. I think he's gone under the radar quite a bit amongst uh, Sens fans just because, like, he, he's, he has lots of NHL skills right now. He, he's... Uh, He's more well-rounded defensively than, than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for, and and plus his offensive skill set as well. I think really uh, uh, showed. I, I I was at death, I was at development camp a little bit this year, and I, I watched quite a bit of highlights. But and Davidson was someone who stood out to me. I mean, even his shot was something that, um, like 
it's never, never really been something that's uh, been reported on as one of his major strengths, but it actually stood out to me, at least personally, I think to a few others as well, as something that um, he, he's definitely um, uh, has as a, as a good trait. So I, I think, um, especially with the lack of like right-wing depth that the Suns have right now, I think that he could be a good uh, person to watch. And maybe Jack Rodewalvers for similar reasons, but I think Davidson has a bit of an edge on him there. Um, as for Logan Brown, I mean, he definitely has a first-line center potential. Um, I mean, he's still young, and he's, I think he still has um, a lot that can happen with his career, positive or negative. Um, I, I think he'll... I think it'll become more clear once we start seeing him more in the NHL, but in the, in the AHL, he definitely harnessed the first line role well. Uh, it was great to see that he was able to handle um, top line minutes, uh, albeit with skilled players like Drake Batherson, and so, but he, especially on the power play. Even if he doesn't become a first line center, he, I think he'll, he has a much, much better chance of becoming a first line power play, like effective person on, on the power play who can really, really work it from the corners. And that's something he showed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in junior a lot, um, and uh, it, that, that's just really his his best skill. But um, it, it's just being able to be effective on the power play that way. So, um, I, I mean, he, he could be a first line center. I mean, uh, he could also just fizzle out in a couple of years if the injuries keep racking up. So, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out. Um, he definitely has a, a, a very unique skill set. So it's really hard to draw any kind of comparisons to him in the past. So. Um, yeah, which is why I think it's just such an intriguing prospect to watch. But uh, yeah, great, great question. Uh, and just a reminder to everyone that uh, we're taking all these questions from our Twitter account at CP Pointcast. So uh, we'll be putting out tweets um, in the future for future questions. So uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter there. For sure. Yeah. And I'll just add one thing about Brown as well. Um, I think he could end up being like kind of like a lower end, lower tier first line center. So the, the person that immediately comes to mind, and I'm not comparing him for his game style, but just like his, his offensive production, sort of like maybe like a Ryan Johansson, like a 60 to 65 point player who is probably technically in the top 31 centers in scoring, but is, you know, kind of on the lower end. And he's not like a, he's not going to be a star first line center, but he's going to be competent and, you know, probably pretty good on the power play so i think that's still a guy that you want to build around but i would still like to have you know that elite talent ahead of him if possible mm-hmm. yeah I, I i totally agree with that and uh, let's get to our, our second question which, which kind of overlaps with uh with the, with the previous one this one comes from kevin at bayern sports nine uh he's asking what rookies do you think make the team out of camp and he also asks uh for updates on the Shabbat and White contracts. Um, so for, for rookies in camp, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think Drake Batherson's a lock. Um, I guess, well, Lennon, he's, he, he's not a rookie, right? Because he played 30 games? Yeah, he, I think it's, yeah, yeah. He, he's past the cutoff. I think okay, yeah, so, I mean, I think he'll make it too, but it doesn't really count. Um, I'm thinking Brown will make it out of camp, and probably one more. Um, I guess Balsers isn't a, a rookie either. Um, and then outside chance that maybe either Fermentin or Schlopik makes it in. But honestly, it's 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 kind of tight, especially after getting Tyler Ennis and Connor Brown. Um, but yeah, I could definitely see Logan Brown and Batherson making it and potentially one more forward. Yeah. And 
for Eric Brandstrom, do you think there's a chance that he makes it too, or do you think they give him kind of the same treatment they gave uh, Carlson and Shabbat in that he kind of stays yeah. in the HL and works his way up? I, I, I'm actually very split on this one. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I've kind of gone back and forth as well. I mean, I don't think there's... I don't think you're going to kill his um, kill his development if he has to be sent down to Belleville for a bit. You know, he'll probably end up getting called up in December or something and then maybe spend the rest of the season in Ottawa. Um, I definitely thought he was going to make it if, you know, they didn't sign Hainsey or something, but they did, and it's it's kind of tough to see how he gets into the lineup. So maybe once there's some injuries or something or, I don't know, someone gets traded, um, he'll, he'll get back in. But, yeah, he, he probably won't spend too long in the minors, especially if he's just, you know, ripping it up. Oh, yeah. I, 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 even if he doesn't start in the Angel roster, he'll, he'll, his skill certainly has the ability to bring him there eventually. Um, I'm just going to address the second part of, of Kevin's question. Um, mm-hmm. Just asking about Shabbat and White contracts. So I think for Colin White, I mean, he's an RFA right now, no arbitration rights. Um, but uh, I, I think the sense will probably go short term on him. It doesn't seem like, even though like, it, he might be worth the bet going long term on. I'm actually personally not convinced. I don't know about you, but um, I think it will probably be given like the Mika Zibanejad treatment, basically, where they give him two, three, two or three years. I think two years maybe. Uh, that, that's my that's my guess. It's just uh, a couple million. Um, I mean, he he had he, he put up quite a few points last year and played. Uh, he, he was basically turned into their first line center after they traded Matt Duchesne. So. Um, he certainly has some value and is, is still definitely a, a valuable prospect. I mean, he's only, what, 21, 22 now? But, uh, 22, yeah. Yeah, I mean, him and Shabbat have the same birthday, right? So, yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I guess for uh, for Shabbat's contract, um, I mean, Dorian said that they'd get something down in July, but, I mean, that would be, unprec- <sighs> that, that would be unprecedented for the sense. I'm getting worried. <laughs> and, I, I mean, uh, uh, there's the whole thing about potential offer sheet. I mean, that won't come up early until next year but do you think do you, do you think that there's a, actually a possibility of that happening i mean hey like look at the way that bergevin and the canadians structured the offer sheet for sebastian aho obviously the cap hit was probably way too low like pretty easy for carolines to match <laughs> but you know there was so much bon- bonus money in that and we just know that Eugene Melnick is, he's not going to be willing to, you know, give out all these signing bonuses. Yeah. So I'm kind of worried with that because I don't think, you know, if, if offer sheets weren't on the table, there's no way they'd be giving Shabbat like, you know, upwards of 50% of his contract via signing bonus. That's just not going to happen. So I'm, you know, if he doesn't have a contract until like the spring or something, I'll be a tad worried. Doesn't necessarily mean an offer sheet's going to happen because they're just incredibly rare. And like the last time a player actually moved via offer sheet was Dustin Penner in 2007. So it's incredibly rare. But I mean, as Sens fans, we have to just be thinking of the absolute worst. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the Sens are in a very unique scenario right now where, uh, I mean, like where they just, can't pay signing bonuses yeah. essentially. So, uh, I mean, look at the lengths they've gone to to, to avoid signing bonuses. So uh, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say that I am. 
I do still have some optimism with sh- with the Shabbat contracts, just because like RFA's don't require signing bonuses as much as like UFA's do. It really just hasn't been the norm as much. Um, so it's it's definitely a contract that the Suns can work out, and they they probably have the ability to. And if if Shabbat does want to stay in Ottawa, if they can guarantee that he'll get top line minutes, even though he'll probably he could probably get that on on most teams in the NHL. Um, I mean, it's, it's something that they definitely could work out and will, could have the cap space. I mean, they, they really have no shortage of cap space, but even the budgetary space, I'm sure they could. Um, f- I'm sure they could be able to fit uh, Shabbat's contract. Maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. I'm, maybe I'm a bit too uh, optimistic on that, considering they just traded ev- everybody essentially, including like Dzingel, right? But yeah, uh, um, yeah. Do you think they'll go, go uh, seven years for him? Or sorry, eight, I should say. See, I don't see how Shabbat would accept anything different. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know what the other option would be. Um, okay. Uh, I, I think w- let's move on to the third question. This one comes from a uh, friend of the show, Ed Brown. <laughs> Where do you find the strength to endure <laughs> the Lord? My fan of his dying here. <laughs> Ed, I mean, stay strong, buddy. Uh, we'll, we'll get through this. You know, I wrote a, a blog last year talking about how when Ottawa actually becomes good or when Melnick sells either one, really, honestly, it'll be so satisfying knowing what we went through as fans and saying, okay, I went through that as a fan. Now this, you know, when they become, then when they actually become successful, it'll just feel so much greater and so much, it's so much more satisfying, you know, just because you, your success is relative and like, you know, where you came from so i mean that's that's the only way i can uh can motivate people to to keep following the sentence but it is definitely bleak um but if anything i i think it's less bleak than it was probably in the fall i'd say yeah and 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 i don't have a good answer i'm sorry dude (laughs) (laughs) just all bleak oh Uh, man i i I mean yeah it, it what you mentioned, like it, the the hope of the championship is kind of the poison at the same time, just because it keeps us holding on and holding on. Totally. <laughs> I mean, we talk about the Sens want, trying to cut their losses, and at what point do we cut our losses, right? Exactly. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm too invested in this in this community. I'm too invested in the people. I'm too invested in, oh, yeah. in this podcast to back up. It'd be way too hard to and, quit. And we love doing it. We 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 love mocking mm-hmm. the Sens as much as we uh, <laughs> as much as we hate it. So. Yeah, it's the friends we meet along the way. Exactly. Friends like you, Colin. Thanks, Trevor, and you too. (laughs) All right, so the last one comes in from James Mellish. He says, so along the same lines, I guess, he says, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that Malnick will sell the team in a year or two when the young assets are building, or sorry, when the young assets are building more excitement, or is this guy taking the team to his grave? I don't know and i am I, I want to be optimistic here and i honestly do think there are some signs that point to melnick being on the verge of selling we we know that there's a team that sell that's that or we know that there's a, a, a group of people who want to buy the team we know that um there are people who could force a sell a sale from melnick that are becoming increasingly frustrated those people are are gary bettman and the board of governors and melnick's creditors and especially when Will Breton Flats all went through that, I think definitely angered a lot of people <laughs> and put Melnick into people's bad books. So I, I want to stay optimistic, but at the same time, it's felt like we've been in this endgame state for like 
years now. And mm-hmm. maybe it's becoming be- increasingly closer behind the scenes, but um, at the same time, you're right. Like, if if uh, the Sens could be a good team again, even under Melnick, I wouldn't rule that out. Um, and which, I mean, it's a, it's a good thing because it's the end goal, but I, I would never put them in cu- cup contender category. But you're right. Like, if, if ticket sales do start to increase and that apathy does start to um, fade, then uh, with the... With the which, which I think honestly would happen if the, if the team starts doing well, even with Monik. I, I think there will be less apathy just because, I mean, there are lots of fans who come out to just watch a winning team, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, th- there's certainly the possibility that Monik just stays on and the Suns just continue in mediocrity to this lowy state that we're in right now for however long until Monik dies, I mean, essentially. But uh, I, I don't know. Do, I... I, I, I I'm still I'm still holding a hope for a sale. I I think that like we don't realize how close Monik is to actually being like at the at the bottom right now and, and like just not being able to support an NHL team. But um, yeah, it really could go either way at this point. Like we also just, I also just want to say that we really just don't know much at this point. Like it, we're still yeah, there, there's still lots of, it's still lots of just speculation and still lots of just uh, um, tossing things out and, and hoping for the best. So. Uh, anything else you yeah. want to add to the, to the final question? I mean, there there was rumors in early June. Um, you know, there were some some Reddit rumors about Manlik's going to sell right after the the end of the Stanley Cup Finals before the draft. Nothing happened. I mean, we went through this same thing. I mean, it's it's really ramped up since um, like December 2017, and you know, every few months there's new rumors of oh no, I you know a buddy of mine works with blah, 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 and is saying that Melnick's going to sell. And, you know, every time I want to be optimistic and I want to believe, but I've said this before, I'm, I'm not going to believe it until it actually happens, until it's 100% official. I do think, though, probably in the next five years he's going to sell. And maybe that's optimistic. I don't know. But you got to think there's, there's some end point here. Like, he can't continue this and it's yeah it's got to end at some point whether that means the league has to step in or what but you know the senators can't be a viable franchise with Melnick at the helm and you know obviously people think Ottawa's not a viable city like like some people do they obviously are it's just because of Melnick and yeah I, I do think it'll happen but I'm not going to believe any rumors until they're official because there's no point in getting my hopes up and then getting them dashed, honestly. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll slightly disagree with you there. What, what makes a viable franchise is not the elder. What makes a viable franchise is its fans, and that's really the core of all. Uh, oh, and we, of they all got the great fans. Yeah, for sure. And, and uh, I mean, Ottawa will always be uh, um, an excellent market for, for yep. NHL hockey, and... Uh, whether Melnick is, is there or not, I think it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with this point, honestly. <laughs> Let's just end it there. Sens fans are the best, you know, hold out hope. It's it's going to get better. Um, kind of a somber note to finish the episode, but um, yeah, I don't know. N- not everything is bleak. Don't worry, guys. DJ Smith will, re- will lead us off into the sunset. Exactly. As I wrap it up, I remind you that you can find the Cosmo Pointcast as part of the SB Nation Podcast Network on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Megaphone. 
And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on this platforms as well. You can find me on Twitter at CudmoreCullen and read my articles at Silver7Cents. And you can follow Trevor on Twitter at ShackTS and read his articles at HockeyBuzz. Uh, the podcast also has a Twitter account at CPPointCast. Don't forget about that, where we'll notify you of future episodes and post uh, openings for any listener questions like you heard today. Um, yeah, that's all for today, folks. Adios.